Quantum mechanics, in its attempt to observe matter in its smallest form, finds that everything is broken down not into mass, but into energy, where matter can be thought of as a slowed-down version of energy. Susan Borowski, American Association for the Advancement of Science. Perception is reality. You've heard it before, but what if it's true? If you see something as beautiful, then it is beautiful in your reality. No one has any business trying to argue that their reality is more valid than yours. But there may be more to it than an easy way to end a one-sided argument. What if your perception were to act as a force on the world around you, changing everything you see in the moment of observing it? Renowned physicist Max Planck, the father of quantum physics, said, I regard matter as derived from consciousness. What did Planck mean by this? Here is another quote from Planck. As a man who has devoted his whole life to the most clear-headed science, to the study of matter, I can tell you as a result of my research about the atoms this much. There is no matter as such. All matter originates and exists only by virtue of a force which brings the particles of an atom to vibration and holds this most minute solar system of the atom together. We must assume behind this force the existence of a conscious and intelligent mind. This mind is the matrix of all matter. Planck says matter exists only by virtue of a force which brings the particles of an atom to vibration. Could perception be that force? We don't think of perception as being a force. But what if it is? In 1920, Niels Bohr and others developed the Copenhagen interpretation, stating that a quantum particle doesn't exist in one state or another, as a wave or as a particle, but in all of its possible states at once. When we observe its state, the particle is forced to choose one probability, and that's the state we observe. The particle may be forced into a different observable state each time, which explains why a particle behaves erratically and can give differing results. The observer effect states that the process of observing a particle changes the way the particle behaves, so our observation of the atom is the force that, as Planck describes it, holds this most minute solar system of the atom together. A very simple and incomplete way of illustrating this may be to take, for example, the human eye. The human eye reflects light and absorbs reflected light, and essentially functions like a high-speed camera. The lens receives reflected light and takes a sort of burned image of the object or scene you're looking at. This image is delayed due to the very short time it takes for the light to reflect off the thing being observed and make it back to your eye. In this time, that object is no longer in the same state of matter it was when you first looked. No matter how small the change, the flow of energy never ceases. However, the simple act of directing reflected light on a thing is forcing that thing, for the observer, to choose a form for the time it is observed, which is thereby exerting a force on it. Your observation of something stems from your consciousness. So Planck may be concluding that if your observation of a thing determines its state of matter, then it follows that the state of matter is derived from consciousness. In theory, consciousness is a form of energy or matter, and it, therefore, 
transcends your physical body. This is the strongest scientific case that I know of that can be made for the existence of reincarnation. Since matter can neither be created nor destroyed, and if consciousness is a form of matter, then it might stand to reason that consciousness continues to be recycled after death, just as our bodies are recycled by the earth. James Leininger was two years old in the year 2000. He was a typical young boy, except for his fascination with aircrafts and his seemingly inexplicable and extensive knowledge about them. When he began to have nightmares about a terrifying plane crash, his parents grew worried. His mother recounted that he would wake, kicking and screaming, saying, Airplane crash! Plane on fire! Little man can't get out! After practicing some simple talk therapy techniques, James's parents managed to reduce his night terrors. But what he began to tell them about the origins of the nightmares shocked them. Mama, he would say, before I was born, I was a pilot, and my airplane got shot in the engine and crashed in the water, and that's how I died. The young boy claimed to be the reincarnated version of a World War II pilot who was shot down. Here is Dr. Jim Tucker from the University of Virginia speaking to NPR on the subject of Leininger's peculiar story. He talked about this plane crash and said that he had been a pilot and that he had flown off of a boat and his dad asked him the name of it and he said Natoma. And he said he had been shot down by the Japanese, uh, that he had been killed uh, at Iwo Jima and that he had a friend on the boat named Jack Larson. Well, it turns out that there was uh, an aircraft carrier called the USS Natoma Bay that was stationed in the Pacific during World War II. Uh, in fact, it was involved in Iwo Jima, and uh, it lost one pilot there, a young man named James Houston. James Houston's plane crashed exactly in the way that, that James Leininger had, had described, hitting the engine, uh, exploding into fire, crashing into the water, and quickly sinking. And when that happened, the pilot of the plane next to his was named Jack Larson. Since our bodies are broken down into materials that tend to group together after our death, that which can be broken down into soil becomes soil, water is captured via the water cycle, certain decay releases gases, etc., it might be possible that consciousness tends also to stick together, making large collections of particles of an intact consciousness being recycled in a new body more possible. Tucker goes on to discuss Leininger's story and the stories of many other children who have claimed to have this experience. I mean, if, if physical matter, if the physical world is all there is, then I don't know how you can accept these cases and, and believe in them. Um, but I, I think there are good reasons to think that consciousness can be considered a separate entity from physical reality. Uh, but it, it may well be that our brains are conduits for consciousness, uh, but it is actually uh, being created somewhere else. You're listening to Dig a Little Deeper, the podcast about the hidden meanings in some of the greatest songs in American traditional music and beyond. Disclaimer, I do not own or claim to own any of the music in this episode. 
Any use of the recordings or lyrics of the song or songs featured herein is protected under fair use for the purposes of education and criticism. Please take a moment to listen to the song for this episode, Born Again, by Tyler Childers. Childer's song is tackling some of the big issues about rebirth and the many lives the energy that we are potentially made of experience. Tyler referred to the song as, quote, 
a redneck commentary on reincarnation. It is a complex song with a lot of different influences. There are scientific influences, spiritual influences, and cultural influences present throughout. Let's listen to the first verse again. Once I was Throughout the song, there are different iterations of the scientific, religious, and spiritual or cultural references that I mentioned before. I will do my best to highlight potential examples of these. The scientific aspects are usually more obvious. In this verse, the narrator is talking about their existence as a prehistoric animal, an ancient breed chewing on an ancient leaf. So, potentially an herbivore, most likely a prey animal. The ancient leaf could, potentially be a reference to tobacco, which is culturally significant, but also a plant that has been growing wild in the Americas for at least 8,000 years. And we know it's prehistoric because it's occurring before we took the notion to keep up with the times. Then he says, and leave them all behind, chiseled to the paper. So this is occurring before written history and before we decided to leave the past behind in an archival format. He describes these histories as chiseled to the paper, tattoos on the ether fading into light. This is perhaps an attempt to illustrate the impermanence of existence, and that whether it is written on paper or chiseled in stone, it will eventually fade. Tattoos on the ether fading into light could mean ether as in the space beyond the clouds, and light is representative of stars, referring to constellations as the way we used to tell stories of the past. There's another possibility, too, though. It's an old-school physics concept, but I thought that since we were talking about physics anyway, we should probably look into it. Back in the 17th century, leading all the way up through the 19th century, there was a popular theory called ether theory, which was basically a theory about the transmission of electromagnetic waves like light and x-rays through a frictionless, undetectable substance known as, you guessed it, ether. Interestingly enough, the final nail in the coffin for ether theory was a furthered understanding of the nature of light and the structure of matter. So Childers' tattoos on the ether fading into light could mean histories attached to a thing that is not only intangible, but is later proven to not exist at all, and fades as a popular theory as we develop our understanding of light. Rut is an annual period of sexual activity in deer and other mammals. This is a culturally influenced line. White-tailed deer are very common in the Appalachian region, and many Appalachian people like to hunt, fish, and spend time outdoors, as this was once a way of survival. The narrator is describing an essential cycle of life, characterized by eating, seeking a mate, reproducing, 
and then repeating the cycle again. His partner becomes a companion for the cold months until it's time to repeat the cycle. This gives the song a relatable romantic aspect that is a hallmark of country music. Next we have the first of several deaths that the narrator experiences in the song. Took one in the boiler room. This is colloquial slang for when a hunter shoots a deer or other animal in the heart or lungs. According to Tyler, quote, My buddy Byron let me borrow his recurve and gave me a crash course on shooting. He talked about hitting a deer in the boiler room, the vitals. I like the way that sounded and always wanted to use that in a song. The dying breed of man described here is another scientific reference. Here, Childers is referring to prehistoric forms of human, or common ancestors of modern humans, who died out as modern Homo sapiens became the dominant primate. Once I was a broken heart, once I tore your heart apart, once my heart put out before I ever got to breathe, my soul returned to see, come to earth again, looking out a living as a favorite laying in. The initial lines of this verse could be referring to the many lives the narrator has led. Once I had my heart broken, once I broke someone else's heart. However, the final line in this stanza, once my heart put out before I ever got to breathe, indicates something a little darker. That line sounds, curiously, like a miscarriage, and could be an indication that the previous two lines were actually not separate lives at all, but were all part of this one life indicating the complexity of existence that one can experience without even being born. And then the soul, or consciousness, returns a seed, ready for planting in a new life, this time as someone's prized lay in him. The narrator appears to be fairly understanding about his inevitable demise. It happens over and over again, and yet the blame is never laid at the feet of those who cause it. It's a dying breed of man, and a fox that's doing all he knew to do. He shows compassion, and it has a definite Eastern religious tone of acceptance to it. This is the cycle of life, and we must accept it and be at peace with it, the narrator seems to say. No trouble, says the narrator. I've been living and dying and living and dying for forever. I've had plenty of births along this ride of being born again. This is our first time hearing the title of the song in the lyrics themselves. So it's a good opportunity to analyze why he chose that phrase. Born again, or to experience the new birth, is a phrase, particularly in evangelicalism, that refers to spiritual rebirth, or a regeneration of the human spirit. John 3, verses 3 through 8. 
In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. According to the Gospel of Thomas, the kingdom of God is within and without. The kingdom of God is within you, which could mean your spirit or consciousness, and it is outside of you, the external world. But you must die to enter the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul said, I die daily, implying that it's a constant process of rebirth. You are allowed to enter the kingdom of God when you realize it's there and to the extent that you realize it's there. Call it the realization spectrum, and we're all on it somewhere. One of the most successful aspects of this song is how well it can connect people with different perspectives to a complex idea, and it relies on the suggestion that these perspectives are not so different. The Eastern religious perspective, that a person's soul can be reborn into a new body. The Western religious perspective, that the spirit must be reborn to enter the kingdom of God, which is all around us and within us. And the scientific perspective, which can be summed up by the law of the conservation of energy, that energy can neither be created nor destroyed, only converted from one form to another such that it is not impossible to imagine that the particles that are you are recycled into the world and are born again, so to speak. Once I was and you were too And we were both the word of truth Fill this world together with a loud and mighty bang Lord, it sounded like a train And it goes There's a lot to unpack in that last verse, but it's made up of some fairly simple statements. The first of which is, once I was and you were too. There's no qualifier for this statement. The two simply are. This is reminiscent of Tibetan-style Dzogchen Buddhism, which is, quote, aimed at discovering and continuing in the ultimate ground of existence. In other words, it is a system of beliefs that concerns itself with simply being. He goes on to say, and we were both the word of truth, which is of course a reference to 2 Timothy 2.15 and other mentions of the word of truth in the Holy Bible, implying that the characters in question are part of the kingdom. And we built this world together with a loud and mighty bang, which is presumably the Big Bang, the most popular theory in modern physics concerned with the origin of the universe. Then he brings us back down to earth with the line, Lord, it sounded like a train. If you're a country music fan, you understand the significance of trains. So the song blends together Eastern religious concepts, Western religious concepts, cultural significance, and scientific basis, potentially to communicate that this idea, rebirth, recycling, whatever you may call it, is a universal concept something that we can all stay connected to, and that 
no matter what perspective we're coming from, we all, together, came up with this game to play called Being Born Again. Dig a Little Deeper was produced by the Carter County Public Library. Connecting Carter County. You've been listening to Dig a Little Deeper, a podcast about the hidden meanings in some of the greatest songs in American music and beyond. This podcast is made possible by the Carter County Public Library and listeners like you, and by the Olive Hill Chamber of Commerce, the leading force in Olive Hill's economic development. Proprietors of the historic Olive Hill Train Depot open Thursday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you, and join us next time for Dig a Little Deeper.